Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. On this episode, the guys give us their predictions for 2018. They also review Heaven and Ale and Hunt for the Ring. Whoa, what was that? Oh yeah, and Flying Squirrels. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 136, The Battle of Evermore. I'm Marty. And I'm Tony. And before we get started... I just got to ask right off the bat, Tony, are, are you feeling a little bit better? Episode 135, I could tense a little testiness, a little grumpiness. Are you going to be more jovial this episode? Heck no, there's no way. I, mm, holy cow. I am about ready to string up AT&T U-verse. Like, can I, can I, Trump, you wanted a ramp, buddy, from the BGG Guild when he posted about cutting the cord and you helped him out. I'm ready. I, I could rant all day on this. We don't have enough time in the episode. What do you got? You dealing with issues? You dealing with? I know that uh, you and I had some trouble connecting up today for some issues. Okay, so when a 4G connection is better than a fiber optic connection, is that a problem, Marty? <laughs> I mean, I can't even hang out with you on using AT and T Uverse because. For some odd reason, they can't even figure out how to bend light to get it into my house for fiber optics. How hard is this? From what I understand, me talking to you over the past several days, you've had technicians out there like day after day replacing equipment after equipment. Well, okay, so one night I had a guy show up at my house at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and he felt that he for sure he could solve this problem that why is my download speeds 0.19 megabits per second and my uploads 0.08 megabits per second? He knew why. He thought it was the router. Four routers later, it wasn't the router. He stayed till 9 p.m. I even offered to fix him dinner. <laughs> I was hungry. And I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. And then he changes this thing. He calls the O&T box underneath here. Da, da, da. I'm going to change this out. That's got to be the problem. Okay, so why didn't you do that after the second router? By the way, the routers all now are refurbished, and they get specific passcodes that they put on them that are stickers. And they take these stickers off the routers, and they put them on a sheet of paper I have in my house for my 1-800-something-something-something-2020-AT&T. I should know this number by heart because I've dialed it so many times. And that sheet can now fold over limp. It's got so many router password stickers on it. It's like a legacy system. <laughs> so, so, so I guess the answer to my initial question is uh, no, you are, you're not going to be more jovial. Uh, this yeah, no, TR Knight, you want a grumpy Tony? You got a grumpy Tony. Speaking of grumpy Tony, so in our God. last episode, we talked about Gaia oh. Project and we talked about putting grumpy Tony on the cover of the box and TR Knight <laughs> photoshopped Tony onto uh, his face onto Grumpy from the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and then pasted that onto the Gaia Project box and it said Gaia Project, Grumpy Edition. That crap was funny. I laughed when I saw that. So yeah, if you want to go search our, our Twitters. Speaking of Gaia Project, 
Uh, last week, I got online to play uh, Terra Mystica. There is a uh, app version of that on the Steam store. And uh, David Waybright from over at Man vs. Meeple for several months has said, I have never played Terra Mystica. I have the app. Would you mind teaching me somehow? So uh, this past weekend, we hooked up online, just did a little two-player uh, game. And my conclusion still stands true, Tony. After playing Terra Mystica again, the sideboard with the priest is just not nearly, nearly as good as, as what that the tech tree is. And even David said at the end of the game, it's like, wow, I just felt like there's this board over here. I need to get my guys up that track because it's just worth victory points, but that's the only purpose, right? Right. And each priest going up there, it may give you some extra power once you get high enough. You know, if you have a certain amount of priest up on a certain level, each of the round markers may give you a little boost, but other than that, it's just about getting victory points totally separate from Gaia Project, where the whole purpose is, is to get benefits from it. So between that and the fact that he and I play two-player, and because you're playing on the full map, it's like we didn't have to hardly interact with each other at all. So Gaia Project really fixes the two main sticking points I had with Terra Mystica, and I'm so glad I played it again to just kind of solidify the fact, yeah, Gaia Project will be the one I'll bring to the table. I agree. Gaia Project is a really a good game, and hopefully I will learn how to play it better. And you missed this. So while you were telling me all of this, I didn't hear a word of it. Do you know why? Because my phone rang and I thought it was AT&T calling to cancel their stupid thing. They were supposed to show up today, but it wasn't. It was somebody soliciting some need for medical attention. I'm Wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody need for medical attention? Uh, somebody like 911 called you? No, it was a it was a solicitor call. You know how you get those stupid calls now on your cell phone? Yeah, I usually just, you know, don't answer. Well, silly me normally doesn't either, but I was thinking it might be the AT&T tech who was supposed to be here today. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. This is <laughs> this is going to be a it's going to be a long episode. Oh, not as long as last one. Because by then, my, my battery's going to run out of my phone. I'm not going to be able to hear you. We have a, a lot of stuff to cover. And people may be wondering, why did you call it Battle of Evermore? The main reason is because uh, on our YouTube channel, each, each week we, we post our episodes to YouTube because some people like to listen to them there. <laughs> and Ryan P. made the comment, I hope you all realize that the only thing strong enough to make up for NSYNC is Led Zeppelin. I'll accept nothing less for the next episode. So I brought that up and it actually happened to be perfect timing because in this episode, we're going to be talking about Hunt for the Ring from Ares Games. And it just so happens that several of Led Zeppelin's songs reference Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, for example, Ramble On, Misty Mountain Hop, which really references The Hobbit, and this song, Battle of Evermore, and there's just little phrases laced all through this song. The main one being the ring race, right in black, right on. I mean, there's, and there's little, there, I've seen like documents and, and essays on how this song is, tells about all the, the, the story of Lord of the Rings and how there's references to Galadriel and Frodo and everything. So this was a perfect song for the episode. And we make up for NSYNC in the last episode. We killed two birds with one stone. What can I say? Do you know when Lord of the Rings was published? Uh, I think Tolkien published it in the 60s, didn't he? It was in the 50s, is in the mid-50s, and I keep forgetting that. The Hobbit was published in the 30s, and for some reason I always think it was right after that, because the Lord of the Rings really, really took off in the 60s, especially when it had a second publishing here in the United States. So Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, those guys basically were, you know, kids 
and grew up on Lord of the Rings. So it makes obvious sense that they were probably influenced by it being from England and then they incorporate it into their song. So time-wise, it just I always thought that, oh, let, uh, Robert Plant read these old classic books. It's like, no, he was just uh, you know a teenager or a kid when the books first came out and he just incorporated them to a song. I mean, I couldn't think of a more appropriate for Hunt for the Ring, as we'll talk about later, just you know, us trying to hunt you down on a new hidden find Ollie Ollie Oxen free game, you know. A hidden movement game? Yeah, hidden movement. Believe it or not, before he even made the comment for, uh, did you say it was Robert P? Ryan P. I'm sorry, Ryan P. Before he even made that comment, I had pretty well, after we had played, decided, well, I was going to go this route. I was just oh. hoping that we hadn't we hadn't recognized or used this song title. And if we have, well, guess what? We're using it again. No, I doubt we've used Battle of Evermore. Now, Ramble On we might have used, but I don't think... In fact, I think I'm pretty sure Ramble On for us would fit perfectly in many, many episodes, so more than likely that's been used. Or the upcoming movie episode. Speaking of which, I finally went and saw Star Wars. And? And we're going to move on because I don't want anybody to hate me. Whichever side you fall on, you're pretty much uh, have good company because this seems about 50-50, so you fell on the side that didn't care for it. It wasn't that I didn't care for it, and I guess maybe... Are the stories getting repetitive? Well, yeah, you saw Force Awakens, right? I mean, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would think to me, this one feels a little less repetitive than that one, but yeah, sure. But I mean, it was like, okay, in The Empire Strikes Back. Hold on, hold on. Spoiler, spoiler, in case anybody hadn't seen it for the next little bit. Go ahead. Okay. Well, The Empire Strikes Back. If no one's seen The Empire Strikes Back, I'm not spoiling I mean, the. Well, well, no, I'm sorry. In case you go back and reference Last Jedi. Well, I mean, you have The Walkers. You know, come in at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and then the end of the movie. Oh, look, there's walkers on what looks like a snow planet. You talking about that? Yeah. I was like, okay, wait a minute. I'm confused. But that's okay. Donna had just woken up from her nap. <laughs> from watching the movie? She fell asleep during in Star Wars, yeah. Wow. What was the last movie she fell asleep in? Was it Justice League? Oh, yeah, Justice League. She fell asleep in Justice League. I just didn't take her to a movie's. Yeah, I was going to say, you just need to come. Get me. I'll go with you. I won't fall asleep, at least. She was sitting there. She goes, now, wait a minute. I'm confused. Well, how did they get on this planet? And why were they riding these things that looked like big jackrabbits? And I'm like, okay, let me help you along here. Big jackrabbits? Yeah, you know, when they went to the gambling thing, the gambling casino. Oh, 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 oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, to me, that which which is the weakest part of the movie, but anyway. Did I hate it? No, I did not hate it. It was not like when I was with The Force Awakens. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed some of the story, and I actually, one part of it, um, when, oh, um, Solo, what, what's his, Kylo Ren, but his, what's his real name, Brett Solo? No. Uh, ben. <laughs> Brett. Ben. <laughs> ben. <laughs> But when when Ben, you know, does that little trick with the sword there, I'm like, why didn't Luke do that? Yeah, that 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 was pretty cool. So, but okay, just in general, did you which did you like more, Force Awakens or Last Jedi? Oh, Last Jedi. Okay, yeah, I'm the same here. So you're in my camp then. You're not in the other camp, which likes uh, Force Awakens a whole lot more. No, and if you ask me, um, I like um, Star Trek. But anyway. Hey, did you know the latest uh, season just started on CBS All Access? You watching that? Well, it would require me to stream, and I don't know if I've stressed the fact that I don't have internet. <laughs> you don't realize, I'm sitting here thinking, 25 years ago, dial up. You know, I don't know how long ago. And I'm like, has it really become that necessary in life? Oh, isn't it sad? I mean, it's uh, you become reliant, and then you think you're getting. You said what, six down, seven down, or something like that? Yeah, six down. 
15, 20 years ago, we thought, oh my gosh, seven down? I could do anything I want. I know. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just like, you're not going to get this show edited in time because I don't know how quickly UPS can get my letter to you <laughs> that has the file on it on the micro disc to send yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, because before we started, Tony said, by, uh, by the way, when I send you uh, my side of this recording, it may take a day or two to get there. And I'm like, dude, just dropping the mail if it's going to take that long. It was 515 hours is what it showed. That's half a month. Hey, we need a game night. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. Well, we had a few. We have. And uh, in fact, a lot of those games that we played, uh, we're actually going to be talking about tonight. We mentioned Hunt for the Ring. Uh, we're going to be talking about the brand new game uh, that's coming out from Plan B Games and, and Eckridgeville, uh, Heaven and Ale, which we mentioned last time. And uh, there's a lot of lo- to- games that uh, Tony and I got to play, uh, some solo games and some quick card games that we're going to do in a brand new segment that Tony came up with called In a Nutshell, where it's just going to be some quick hits on games that we just played and we're just going to tell you about real quick. And we got three uh, great candidates for that inaugural segment. And then the Flying Squirrels are coming back. They're ready for 2018. Got some items we need to talk about. And at the beginning of the year, like a lot of people do, we're going to be giving out our predictions for this year. Tony and I each have a couple predictions that we're going to make. Uh, mine, I can go ahead and tell you, I'm going to have uh, 56K modem put in. Okay, enough. I'm done. I'm done complaining about AT&T U-verse. I'm done whining about their sorry service. Oh, can we get to a game? I got to get off this. Marty, just stop. Stop, stop, stop This is our seventh take. I, I don't think we're doing heaven and ale justice by trying to cram this in five minutes we just got to talk about it i mean i I hate to upset designers michael kessling and andreas schmidt and not give it just i mean everybody's loving on this game yeah they are and and you're right we keep trying to get everything we want to say about this game in five minutes and we just can't get all there is to it which is so odd tony i know you think we'd be good after five years yeah the gameplay is not that difficult you got a piece you move around a track. When you land on a space, you just take that action. But we can't get it all in five minutes for some reason. Because we start thinking about those actions and what they all mean. For instance, you go, you're moving your piece around. And by the way, in one of the takes, I was trying to think of the game that this the moving around mimics. And that was Francis Drake. It finally came to me, Marty, after seven oh, takes. Oh, yes, that's right. You move around the street. Yeah, it's just a rectangle board with spaces around it. Like you said, you can only move forward. You can't move back. And once you get to the, the end, you have to wait on everybody to catch up to you. And then you start the next round. And the game is played over a course of rounds. And for example, for like four players, there's eight rounds. And it decreases with the number of players. And the, the idea, the theme behind it, I guess, is you're trying to collect resources in effort to make L and you're trying to level up your brewmeister, get as many resources as you can with the ultimate goal of what, Tony? Getting victory points as the massive winner that you are, that you are the true brewmaster here in heaven and ale. But why can't we do it in five minutes? I'll tell you one of the reasons why is because the simple action of collecting those resources and deciding, putting them on the light side or the dark side, do they, do they embrace the good or the evil? Have they well, made no, the same no, choice? No, 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 it's not what? good and evil. If you look at your player board, it's broken up into hex tiles, and each of the resources are hexes. One side is shady. One side is sunny, because you want the resources that you want to grow on the sunny side. 
good and evil. Well, I'm sorry. I was going back to Star Wars, of course, there, but... Yeah, mean, I mean, well, well, no, no. That's dark and light. That's what I'm saying. There's a light side of the board and a dark side of the board. Well, good and evil. good side of the board. This is why we couldn't get it done in five minutes. I know, because I kept getting myself confused, thinking between two. But anyway, so and if the resources is, are planted on the light side, it costs you twice as much. So that's, And that eats up your money. But they mm-hmm. produce the resources on the light side. And if you put them on the dark side, then it generates money for you. The tiles are ranked anywhere from one to five. So you got that decision to make. If you don't have a lot of money, well, you can't be fi- buying a $5 uh, resource and plopping it on the sunny side because it'll cost you 10 But if you really need a lot of that resource, you need to get it on that side. Oh, my gosh. It hurt my brain. I know. And if you encircle a certain hex, then a shed gets put on your board. And that shed will determine... Uh, which resources get activated based on the cost of the resources around it. Oh my gosh. So, see, see, there's this whole other thing of activating the tiles and, and the scoring. Oh. And you just mentioned one way that, like you said, there's a lot of spaces around on the board. And once you encompass one space, you basically create a shed and you add up of all the values of the tiles around it. And that determines what type of shed you put in there. The higher value tiles will activate more of the tiles around it. The lower values, you won't act as many, but your brewmaster goes up the track a lot. So it's, it's a give and take. Some of them, you want low-value sheds, and some you want high-value sheds. Just so much is in there on placing those resources. So that's one of the things I enjoy about it. A very thanky portion. And then you got the brothers out there, the monks. The monks, yep. You can collect the monks, pay for them to come and help your garden grow. You place them out there on the board. That is great because when you try to score the monks, then they activate the tiles around them as well. So you've got to balance that. And if you all have the same monks from the same brotherhood, then you get all of them at once. So you really got to look at how they populate the board. That's another concept you got to get your head around on. Where do you place them on the board? But then here's the thing is we talked about the scoring. So around the board, there's these different types of scoring tracks. One is you land on it. You say, uh, I'm going to name a number and I'm going to activate every tile that has that number on it. So those could generate resources, could generate uh, money. Another is I'm going to activate a particular color. I'll activate the barley or the hops or the wood, and I'll score all those, both money and the number of resources. Or the monk, Tony, like you said, there's four different types of monks. I'm going to activate a monk, and you pick which monk you're going to activate, and you basically activate all tiles around those monks. And then there's one that's just you can do whatever you want. But, Tony, the thing that got me is you can only do each of those scorings once. So, for example, if I score my barley, the yellow tiles, you put a marker on your marker board showing I've already done that one and you can't do it the rest of the game. So if you want to activate that again, you got to rely on maybe hoping there's a monk near it to activate it again or completing a shed where that yellow tile is part of that shed so it could be activated again. And that's the part I just couldn't grasp strategically how to do the best. Yeah, and I know we said we weren't going to talk a lot about rules in our five minutes, but this game... You need to explain a little bit because that's one of the concepts I did like about it, Marty. You like the single scoring and once you score, that's it? You're done with it? Yeah, because there was that 
oh, I need to go get that scoring disc, but if I get that one, will you come and try to beat me? But then I'm going to be jumping ahead to get past these resources mm. to go get this scoring disc, and that's where I screwed up on my very first game, where I did not score enough. And I think that's something that I learned from that first game that I was like, okay, you need to not wait so long. You need to go ahead and score some things because when you complete a collection of two scoring discs, you get to activate special cards. And even that throws scoring and Oh, man, there is just a lot there. Again, on your turn, all you're doing is taking your pawn and moving it to a space. That's yes, it. That's it. It's, it's why it's so simple. What are you doing in turn? I just move it and put it on a space. But it's like, it's very, it's, I don't know. I hate to use the word sandbox because that gives a, a too many interpretations. But on your turn, you can basically kind of do anything that you want. Uh, like Tony said, you can move as far down the track as you want to do whatever you want to do, but you are skipping all those spaces that you that might be valuable to you, but you might see something down the track. I really, really need that. And it was the order and when to do it. When do I score this resource? I need to get these types of resources together to have a lot of this. So when I score it, I do this. There's just a lot going on. And then, Tony, after then- all is said and done you get to the final scoring, which is a little bit wonky in itself. Yes, because the brewmaster comes into play. You've been trying to move him up the track. Why is he so important? Because when you score at the final round, after everything is said and done, there is a ratio on that board. And what that ratio is going to do is, as you are generating resources of the various colors, and they'll move up the track, some won't, you have to bring them all back together and the brewmaster determines what that ratio is of the ones that you've overproduced he will march them back and the ones at the end only march up one and they'll eventually collide and meet and and come together and say here's your victory points there you mm-hmm. go that's how many you got and you've got to really be balancing that out and because if you get way too far out in front and leave one way lagging and the brewmaster doesn't get up there suddenly those victory points disappear in a second I've heard of some people scoring a, a zero. Those, those ratios range, you know, it could be four to one, three to one, two to one. Obviously, the higher, the better. Because like you said, if it's two to one, you take the lead resource, move it back two, move the lowest up one. Well, imagine if you're on four to one. All of a sudden, you're moving that lead resource back four to get that last one up one. And wherever your brewmaster has a multiplier beside it, times two, times three, times four. And once you get all your resources clumped together, whatever the lowest value is that that resource multiplies by that, the brewmaster value. And that's your final points. And like you said, Tony, you, you can't have one resource way outrun the other and one lag far behind unless maybe you got lucky and got your brewmaster up to one to one ratio, which is not too bad then, but that's tough. But that's not the last thing because as you're playing the game, there's like little incentives, little bonuses that you can get by collecting barrels. There's a Roll couple spots on the out board. The barrels. Oh, we're not doing polka songs for drinking and having a nail? <laughs> Oh, that's kind of appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you can you can land on these uh, barrel locations to claim extra victory points. It'll say like if you've scored all uh, the certain colors of resources, or if you have all the sunny side uh, area filled up or light side, you can grab a large barrel which is worth four. If it's claimed, you can grab a small barrel which is worth two. And there's only each of those barrels. So when you land, you can grab as many barrels as you want. Uh, that you satisfy the conditions for, and those add up at the end also for your final score. For summary for me, I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed playing it. I enjoyed the tension of the game as you move around that track, doing that simple action of when to collect. I enjoyed the thinkingness of putting my tiles on the board. 
I like the strategy of trying to block the other players from getting certain ones, even if it may detriment me. For me, it's one that I would put on my shelf and one I would play again and again. You know, Tony, with the Gaia Project, you said you were extremely grumpy because you stunk at the game. I was, last time I played this game, I was grumpy because it's like everybody at the table, all of a sudden it clicked and go, I got this. I understand it. And I got blown away. I'm still just scratching my head. So, <laughs> you know, that that can somewhat taint a game, but I'm going to try to remove myself from how bad I play it to say, yeah, this is a, this is a good little thinky game. Again, I, it's not one of those that's very hard to teach, but it's one you got to play multiple times to try to figure out your best strategy. Uh, the One of the biggest knocks on me, I wasn't crazy about the thing of landing on a barrel spot and claiming as many barrels as you want. Uh, that really cost us in the last game we played. We played with uh, one of our friends, and he was maybe claiming barrels all over the place. Now, I guess it was smart because he had completed all those objectives, which allowed him to get those real quick, but it's like, you took them all before I had a chance to get them. That's a, that's a little nitpick. So if you're looking for a game that uh, easy to learn, but I, I'm telling you right now, Tony, and see if you agree, you can't play this game once, right? There's no way you can play this game once and have a good evaluation of it. I would agree. You got to play it multiple times, sit down, even watch somebody play it, and then you can make a determination on if it's something you'd enjoy. So that's Heaven and Ale published by Eckerspiel Games, brought to us by Plan B Games, which should be out some at some point in time in January so you can look for it in your local stores online. It's time for Flying Squirrels, two-minute discussions on topics that have our attention. For now. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. So it's time for another segment of Flying Squirrels. And in this segment, Tony and I have topics that we're going to talk about, but we got to stay on point. So we only give ourselves two minutes to do so. And at the end of the two minutes, you'll hear this sound, which means it's time to move on to the next topic. And in this edition, Tony is going to kick us off. So Marty, I was in Target the other day, Target, looking for Catan with the Game of Thrones theme because I read on BGG that some targets had them at 50% off. I checked for you at our store. It was still 80 bucks. Yeah, mine too. And I was like, okay, somebody's lying to me and made me drive to Target. But that's okay. Because while I was there, I saw a toy from our childhood called Stretch Armstrong. What is old is new again. I love Stretch. I know. Stretch is back. Now, I wanted that toy for Christmas so bad. It looks so cool. And now that I'm older, I am so glad I didn't get it. Do you know why? <laughs> I do, but I don't want to uh, burst your bubble. Well, there's actually two reasons. One, now that I think about what is it, it's nothing but a rubber band. How boring <laughs> is that? It's a man-shaped rubber band. It's a man-shaped, but he's also got a stretch dog. There's a stretch dog. He's $12, and now the Stretch Armstrong's $25 at Target. And I'm like, I started thinking about, why did I want this? Because they sold it so well to kids. He can stretch, and he snaps back, and all this cool stuff. He's indestructible. He can get out of anything that you put him in. And, oh, it was such a cool-looking toy. But my mom read online, or not online. She didn't read online. They didn't have online back then. <laughs> that would have been she read funny. in this thing called a paper that stretch would leak. Yes. His corn syrup would go everywhere. <laughs> His corn syrup. Uh, yeah, the joints where they uh, the join the stuff together and, and filled it with the liquid actually leak out and cause a problem. And then kids would ingest it. Yeah, that was a major problem. I remember that was a major ordeal when it came out. So think about it. They tried to kill us back in the 70s. They brought it back out to try to kill our kids here in the 2000s. All right. 
speaking of toys, Tony, you don't have Netflix yet and you, you don't want to get it yet because you wouldn't be able to stream it because, well, that that's another topic. There is a show on there that eventually when you get decent internet, if you get Netflix and you check this out, it's called Toys That Made Us. It's a new series that was just released that's just talking about what you were talking about with Stretch Armstrong. Toys from the 70s and 80s that we grew up with and the history behind them. And the first four episodes are on Star Wars G.I. Joe, He-Man, and Barbie. So far, I've watched Star Wars and He-Man, and they are so well done. And I learned a lot about some of this stuff I never knew. G.I. Joe, Kung Fu Grip, teach me something. Why did I just tell you the only two I've seen are Star Wars and He-Man? Well, you wasted your time on the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, No, actually, the first one's really interesting and worth seeing because did you know Mattel turned down the license to Star Wars and they've been kicking themselves ever since? Yeah, probably. Uh, No, I did not know that. That's interesting. I wonder why they would do that. Uh, They just didn't have any faith in it. They just didn't think it was worth it. So this little toy store or this little toy company from Cincinnati, Ohio, Kenner said, we'll do it. And then boom, it just took off. But to me, the more interesting episode was actually He-Man. Something interesting about it, I I had no clue. Tony, I assumed that He-Man toys were generated from the cartoon. I didn't know that the cartoon came after the toys. I didn't either. I did. I know. And, and get this. They invented the toys and they went into a uh, uh, Toys R Us came to them and they said, Hey, we, uh, what do you, what do you got for us? So we got this He-Man thing. It's like, why anybody want this? And they said, I don't know anything about him. And in the meeting, they said, oh, yeah, we're doing a cartoon. All of a sudden, out of the blue, they said, we're going to a cartoon. And from that, they generated the cartoon. It took off, it, and then it accelerated, and then died in the late 80s when they just oversaturated the market. Because remember, you can get He-Man stuff for like two bucks in the bargain bin? Yes. So anyway, what, if anybody has Netflix, I highly recommend checking those out. Those are really, really good. Not that I'm going to waste my two minutes on more toy discussion, but I did see over at ICV2 Micronauts. And I'm Ooh. like, what? But it's not our Micronauts. But I'm going to move past that. Let's move on to some other news. This just came across my desk. Marty, did you see where Wizards of the Coast has required background checks for their judges and stores, retail stores, for running their magic tournaments? Actually, I have. That's a pretty big, dramatic, sensitive topic that's been going on online recently. But go ahead. But uh, as an Envoy Herald, I got an email about this, and they said, go read this. We're working through this. And I'm like, I'm not really sure that you can require this under certain law. And then they got this blurb that under required state laws or whatever. I'm just like, man, this is interesting. Well, I was going to say, I think for a little bit of context for people that that don't know, what's happened is it's been um, exposed that some Magic the Gathering judges are actually convicted pedophiles. Yes. And so now they're, 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 run, they're circling the wagon saying, okay, we missed some things here. We understand. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in this world. To sit there and completely circle your wagons and protect yourself like this by saying, okay, everybody needs a background check. I don't know how I feel about that. I was just very surprised by this news. I didn't realize that they had gone to that, especially on something that is such a moneymaker. Could you imagine that? You and I running a store and saying, okay, we got to run backgrounds checks on everybody. That is a huge cost. Huge cost. Actually, it's not. It's only like $25, $35 a person. Yeah, because I've been reading this and people thought it was a huge cost too. But you know what? In today's world, I think you do have to protect people. Now that it's been exposed, that there's been some people in the stores 
that were are convicted, you know, convicted offenders. I don't think you want those messing around with your kids. So I, I'm okay with the background checks. It's just I wonder if everybody else is going to start doing it. I have no idea. Jury is still out on my opinion on this because I still thought that it was going to cost a lot for do a real background check, not Sam going out and googling. It. Tony, one of our most favorite games from uh, 2016 was Great Western Trail. Remember that came out from uh, Stronghold Games the same year as Terraforming Mars. And it seems like Terraforming Mars, in my opinion, kind of overshadowed it, right? Yes. Everybody was like, Great Western Trail is great. Oh, Terraforming Mars, Terraforming Mars, Terraforming Mars. Well, this past week, Great Western Trail actually reached number 10 overall on the BGG rankings. I think that's pretty darn cool that even though I felt like it got overshadowed, it's getting the credit it deserves now. Well, it should, and I want to play it again. I want to play a lot of things again. <laughs> I do, but you know what? Great Western Trail is one of those I have that itch too. It's like every mm-hmm. time I see it, it's like, I really want to play that again. There are just certain games like, I want to play that again, and, and that's one of those on the list. If you never played Great Western Trail, I, I know that uh, it's gotten a lot of buzz lately because it has made it to the top 10 and it's hard to find. Well, here's the thing. We talked about uh, Heaven and L from Plan B Games, and it's an Eckertspiel game. Great Western Trail is also an Eckertspiel game. What's happened is the last year, Plan B Games has picked up all the Eckertspiel uh, games to bring them here. So it's Plan B Games that will be re-releasing that. So if it's been hard to find, uh, it's now going to be produced and uh, delivered by Plan B Games. So keep an eye on it. And I talked to the people over at Plan B. I asked, is anything going to change? Is that weird box art going to change or anything? It's like, nope, it's, everything's exactly the same except my name's on the front now. Well, it's good that they're bringing it back because it is such a good game. And you know what? I think it also has one of those old cool tracks, not like Francis track, but I enjoyed marching through the Great Western Trail to sell my cows. Such a fun game. Okay, it's January. It's time to start planning the vacation, Smarty. I got to get them to planned. I got to get the cons planned. It's that time of year. Yes, I've got to get all of 2018 planned. First off, we can't go to CMON Expo because our kids are doing us wrong by graduating from college and getting off our <laughs> milk ticket. <laughs> doing us wrong. Can we say CMON Expo did us wrong by planning it once again on Mother's Day weekend? Well, I, it may be, but uh, maybe getting off our meal ticket's not a bad thing. Okay, so then, so so part of my vacation now is to say, well, what am I going to do to celebrate Rebecca going? Is what Donald's asking me. I'm like, wait a minute, her college was her celebration. What are you talking about? Yeah, she she got a college degree. Is that not enough? I was going to say. So I'm 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 trying to convince Rebecca that she needs to go hiking. I really want to go back to great uh, the Rocky Mountain gaming v- vacation again, and it's going to be in Utah. I mean, they've even started something where if you buy a Stronghold game in January. You get free admission to an escape room because, you know, Steven's got those escape rooms down in Florida where he is flaunting all his pictures. And then you and I, uh, August, the 1st of August, I got to figure out where Gen Con fits in there. And then on top Mm -hmm. of that, Donna wants to do another cruise, but we're not going to do a gaming cruise as much as I want to push that. She says, nope, nope, we're going to do something else. So we got to figure that in the plan. Oh, and then, of course, we got Mega Moose Con coming up, even though that's not really a vacation. Why is that considered work or something? Mega Moose Con, a vacation? Well, I got to drive home. Uh, I mean, I got my stuff is still in my house. I'm not having to pack it up. Vacation is when you get all stressed out and have to go somewhere. That's every time I go to Target. See, I don't have a Target near me where I live now, so I don't have to. I got Walmart. That's even more stressful. Yes, it is. So it's time to get all that stuff planned out and figure out what it is I'm going to do in 2018. Okay, we need to share a Google Calendar and make this happen. 
we were talking about the Star Wars movies earlier, and we were talking about which one's better, this one or that one. It's very evenly split, so I was curious how much they had made it to box office compared to each other. So at the time of this recording, 31 days into The Force Awakens, it had made $852 million. 31 days after the release, Last Jedi has only made 591 852 to 591 that's a big difference tony i guess i can understand sort of why because everybody was jonesing for the force awakens and now we've had so many other movies since then with the star wars maybe some of the newness has rubbed off that is unreal though that it's that far behind yeah and probably people think well i will see like because less jedi is not as good well hold on right there because i also went and investigated uh, New Hope episode four made 460 million, the first ever uh, Star Wars movie. And this is obviously in 70s, 80s dollars. And episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, which is considered the better movie, only made 290. So it's probably just that the second movie in the trilogy just never does as well as the first. Right. The newness, the, the repeat people, they're, oh, I got to go see this again and again. So I can see that. Here's another thing that surprised me too when I just happened to pull up box office numbers. Get this. The movie that just came out uh, with uh, Jumanji, the remake with like The the Rock and uh, I was going to say Amy Pond, but Karen Gilliam and Kevin Hart, Jack Blades. That movie has made $283 million. I'm surprised. I didn't think that movie looked that great, but it's been doing really well. But then when I saw compared to Justice League, only made $227 million. That's right. Jumanji made more than the Justice League. I never saw the original Jumanji. I didn't realize it was a remake. I thought they just used the same name. It's not exactly a full remake. It's just using the same name, Jumanji. But now I kind of really want to go see Jumanji. But again, I'm just shocked. It actually made more than Justice League because Justice League was supposed to be a pretty darn big movie. I'm not. Did you go see Justice League? Yes. That should answer your question. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. So I was just browsing over at the Broken Token site, and I didn't even realize it. Not only do they have a cool insert for Terra Mystica, we know we're talking about Terra Mystica early, uh, Tony. They have faction boards. You know how with uh, the Terraforming Mars, how you have the little tokens that can move and slide? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, with the faction boards in Terra Mystica, you got all your buildings and everything lined up that could get knocked and pushed all over the place. They actually have acrylic boards that you can put your little buildings in, which is really cool. Well, see, look at that. Once again, going to the Broken Token website, take a look at what all they got. I mean, I just finished my Carcassonne insert that I am really enjoying. So there's tons of stuff out there that you can do to make your game set up so much easier or separate your expansions like I did with Carcassonne. So if you want to see this and other great organizers, go check them out at thebrokentoken.com. In 2018, we've got a new segment. It's called In a Nutshell. These are games that are quick games that we get or apps that we've been playing, something that we want to bring to your attention that maybe you need to go investigate. So for me, my first one, Marty, is Muse by Quick Simple Games. Now, I brought that to the table right before we played Hunt for the Ring, and this is a game that I'm going to say it's a cross between maybe Dixit and Mysterium, but the game itself lies in these cards that tell you how to give clues to try to get other people to guess. So if you're familiar with Dixit or if you're familiar with Mysterium, this game is one that you can easily pick up. It plays in about 15 minutes. I really enjoyed this game. The artwork was really beautiful. You could bring other cards from other games because, like I said, these cards that tell you how you can give clues, like hum a favorite movie theme song to indicate which card you want to get picked. 
that's a really unique idea. And, and I enjoyed that, Marty. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I love the team aspect of it, too, because what you're doing is, as one team, you're giving another team a card, and then you're giving them uh, two cards as an option to how to describe it. Like you said, it could be, you need to describe this card by using a body part or or a fictional character, and then you give them four additional cards, and and from the, and then they put all of that out, so they have to give a clue based on the card you give them and hope that their team can figure it out. So like you said, it's a nice little twist. It's like Dixit, but it's like limited with the clues you can get. I, I really enjoyed it too. Hey, another game that we got to try, actually, Tony, you and I got to try separately because it's a solo game, is finished by Friedman Freeze, published by Stronghold Games. This is kind of like Friday to me, right? You, you're sitting there at lunch. You want a game that you can be able to play and knock out in 15, 30 minutes. It's really of a really kind of cool concept. You have a, a deck of cards that you shuffle up and they go from one to 48. And the whole goal of the game is by the end of the game is have all the cards so- sorted by one to 48. But over the course of the game, you're only flipping over like three cards at a time. And each of those cards have certain abilities. Like you can swap cards around or you can put them into the future maybe and use them later on. You can like draw an extra card and you have these abilities that are activated by little pieces of candy. And uh, once you use up all your candy, you you don't get to use any of those abilities until you get more candy from the cards. So over the course of the game, you're going through your deck multiple times. And each time you go through your deck, once you show the 48 card, it means you got to remove a coffee cup. And after all the coffee cups are gone, after seven coffee cups are gone, if your cards aren't sorted, you'll lose the game. Now, while it's very simple to play, it's actually really hard to beat. Yes, it is. A stupid game. I've yet to win it. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting ready to throw it back at you. You haven't won it yet. I won it once. You won it once. Okay, no. But then again, I haven't won. Uh, I haven't won Friday. I haven't won. Uh, what was the, the Lost Exposition that we got from Os- Osprey Games? Fun solo games, quick to the table. Of all of them, you know, I enjoy them all. So I'm not going to pick a, a what's one of my favorites here. I do like this cute little and the flip book and finish. That's oh, so cute. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, so as you're playing the game, once you've activated all the cards that you can uh, activate from what they call the present, they slide down to the past. And any old cards in the past go to the bottom of the deck. Your goal is, is to try to get things sorted as much as possible over the course of the game until they're all sorted. Well, if you get them all sorted, there's little, uh, like little pictures at the top of the card. And if you do, if you flip through the cards, it makes a little animated flip deck. Of course, I would never do that because that'll ruin the cards. Uh, I'm glad I'm using your game because I've already ruined the cards. Man! So, apps. I play board game apps. You know, y'all hear me talk about Ascension all the time. But got to try out Lotus, the card game Lotus. I've been wanting to play this game, but instead got the app. I will say one thing about apps, Marty. They give you the ability to learn the game fairly straightforward. Great tutorial in this app. Did you get to do the tutorial? Oh, yeah, I did go through the tour because I never played this game from Renegade Games. It was very popular when it came out, but I never got a chance to play it. And every time I saw it on the table, I was kind of confused because it looked like to me like cards were lying all over the place. Well, then once I played the app, I understood, oh, the cards that are lying all over the place, they're actually creating petals around a flower. Mm -hmm. But what I love about this app, Tony, is that it's not like a direct representation of the card game. You do have cards in your hand, but once you play them, it actually on the screen creates a real flower so graphically it's kind of cool it doesn't feel like you're playing a card game it just feels like you're just playing a little app on the phone yeah and i mean it's a good game for me and donna to pass back and forth we enjoy that one moves fairly quickly i like the strategy behind it you know it's 
I hate to say this, that, you know, it's going to keep me from buying the real physical game, but I now have the app. I'm not sure I would because this, this is so easy to set up. I don't have to worry about shuffling cards, doing your, the Marty stacks. Uh, that's called the Connell Clusters. I'm sorry, the Connell Clusters. I've just got the app right there. And it was good to try it out. You know, it's moving to a point now where I'll buy an app if I've got questions about the game. It also to help me relearn the game. I enjoyed Lotus. I can't wait to try to play you online. Maybe when I get an internet connection, I'll do that. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Until then, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're interested in Lotus, it's available right now. It's on uh, Android. It's on iOS. It's not a very expensive game. So if you own the physical game, you'll know exactly how to play. If you never played, it's actually a fun little, uh, it could be like a little bathroom game or, or game that you can uh, play uh, with your friends because uh, on, in solo mode, there's uh, different types of AI, easy, medium, and hard. Uh, so it's, it's fun just to kind of play by yourself. And uh, again, that's Lotus from uh, Renegade Games. And that's in a nutshell. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. I love Lord of the Rings themed games. Anything that's Lord of the Rings, I'm going to try it out, which is why I was so excited to try out the new hidden movement game from Ares Games, Hunt for the Ring. This game is designed by Marco Magai, Gabriel Mari, and Francesco Nepatello. And I apologize for butchering any of those names. This is a game I got to see at PAX Unplugged. We were talking about that earlier and actually got to play it, and I had to have a copy, and we finally got it to the table. In general... Somebody is playing as Frodo. They're the hidden movement person. They're trying to get from the Shire and they're trying to make it to Bria, one of the other locations that's on the board. Everybody else is playing for Nazgul. And just like in the books, they are looking for Frodo and his other Hobbit friends. Over the course of the game, the Nazgul try to find and corrupt Frodo or Frodo tries to get to the end and win the game. Tony, I had a chance to play both as the Frodo and the Nazgul. And I'll just say right off the bat, it's easier to play as Frodo. I can believe that because when I got to play it, I got to be grumpy Tony. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you were. I, I And I think that's a tough thing with hidden movement games. I think it's always harder for the, it's always harder for the seeker than the hider, in my opinion, first time out. And I think, and it wasn't to blame you for the rules or anything. I think it was the whole concept of or the the search and the hunt. There's this concept to get around those two game mechanics of what they mean. That if you don't, if you can't grasp that, and you're the ring wraith, the game becomes almost boring in my opinion so you really got to understand that uh, i like the the gameplay mechanics the on the turn the, the frodo can basically uh he can move one spot and maybe right. he can play a card from hand. He has allied cards that he can play from his hand. He can get some some focus tokens in order to be able to play some of those cards. And he has some additional abilities to kind of help hide. And he can put ally tokens on the board that can block locations to keep uh, ring race from going through, or for uh, or maybe throwing out as a decoy, which is what I did with y'all. But when it comes to the Nazgul, I think the Nazgul has a very interesting turn mechanic, where the Nazgul roll a set of dice. And he, there's icons on the dice that can represent different types of actions, and you have to share those as a pool through a whole turn, and a turn consists of two day turns and a night turn. So you as the Nazgul have to work together to decide who's going to use what dice when and where. 
and, and those actions will let you hunt for them, search for them, use special cards that allow you to corrupt them because if we corrupt Frodo, then we win the game. So, I mean, even if we capture you, you can, you can get away, which I did like in the game. I like that concept, even though we got never got near you. We could never smell your old nasty hobbit feet. <laughs> I mean, that, that, and I think that's what made me grumpy was, I know we didn't use a lot of strategy, but it was like I never felt like I had a clue where you were. And, and you know, when I played as the Nazgul, I think we did play together better as a Nazgul group than what you guys did. I just don't think y'all communicated enough. Uh, what it is, is you guys rushed into the map and I kind of snuck by you. And once I got by you, it was hard to come back and find me. But one thing I do like about uh, this game, Tony, is is when you do the search, the search, there's like you said, the search and the hunt. The search is basically we want to do a search, and it's like if you're on a numbered location on the board, you say, "Are you here?" Now, here's what I think it's cool: the board is consist of numbered locations with little dots uh, between some of those locations. I could be on a numbered location on one of those dots. But everything is always based on what my previous location was. I have a mat uh, in front of you that's, that's hidden from everybody else, and I mark where I am. If you do a search, I have to tell you whether that was my last location or not. So if you say, are you in location 32? If my last location was 32, I say yes. But if you say hunt, you can actually attack me at that point, and I have to try to get away, and, and you're corrupted. So that's the difference between the two. But what I like about that is there's no line of sight, Tony. A lot of these other games like Spectre Ops or even Nuns on the Run, there's this whole line of sight concept that's gone in this, which makes it easier. Yeah, uh, the line of sight is gone. I did enjoy that. That made things a lot better. I'd like to keep trying at this game to see if I can develop strategies around it. And I think that would make me enjoy this game more. So I'm not saying it's it's a game that I wouldn't play again, but it's not one that I'm going to rush to the table again. But I do think it, it is a very good seek and find game yeah and for me i want to get this table again because there's multiple parts of this game there's part one and once you get to the end you actually save the state of the game and flip over and you can play part two where you're trying to get to rivendell and you add in strider and you add in gandalf and then even cooler after that whatever happens in that game you can take to a full two-player game of war of the ring so they've incorporated all this together in their big box war of the ring so the base game comes with part one part two and something that leads in war of the ring for that reason and the high quality components gorgeous miniatures is now my most favorite hidden movie game because of the theme because of the rule set that's hunt for the ring from aries games out now five minute initiative is complete portal con will be announcing some incredible things in the upcoming month you know ignacy's got stuff up his sleeves probably up his britches probably in his hoodie i don't know ignacy is always wants to surprise us at the first of the year on what he's got planned for 2018 i wouldn't even know what to predict for portal this year other than i do know he is working on an imperial settlers expansion but don't forget about the great games from 27 matter of fact if you haven't gone out first martians you can pick that up at a pretty good price on amazon.com right now matter of fact marty and i were just talking about it. if you didn't get a chance to play that he's releasing the almanac for that and there's always robinson robinson is such a great co-op game so be sure to check out whatever ignacy has in store for us in 2018 as well as don't forget about 2017 that's portal games 
That's portal. What is it? Portal.com? Portal.pl? Portalgames.pl. Are you sure? Portalgames.pl slash en. That's right. Portalgames.com slash en. No, no dot com. It's not. Portalgames.pl. Why is it? Why? See, now he's screwing me up. Portalgames.pl slash en. I'm on the site right now. If you had a decent internet connection, you could see what it is. Just type in portal in Google. You'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Each year, everybody loves to make predictions what's going on in this hobby, and, and we're no different. And in fact, last year we made predictions, Tony, and why don't we see how well we did with those? No, let's not. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, I I looked over yours, and... Um, I got one. All right, so why don't we go through them real quick? What's your first one? My first one was, uh, yeah, there will be more hobby games in the big box stores, such as Target and Walmart. And, you know, just to keep it short and sweet, if you think about it, I saw more shelf space going up for the games. Their websites were full. And a big box store picked up Fog of Love, which we've talked about on this show. So that's a hobby game definitely went to a big box store. For me, my first one was saying the biggest game from CMON is going to be Godfather. Uh, I thought it was going to be like Blood Rages type big. I, I was wrong. I mean, it got decent reception. It got decent reviews. But I don't hear a lot of people talking about it anymore. So I now that probably was not the the big game of uh, of 2017 for CMON. And, but my question is, what else has come out since Godfather? Well, no, that, that's a good point. I mean, the big stuff was Kickstarters, right? The the uh, the the fire, Song of Fire and Ice was a big Kickstarter. You had Massive Darkness uh, that was delivered; it did okay. You had the Rising Sun, which was the big Kickstarter. Ethnos did well. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was one of the bigger. I mean, it was one of the bigger ones, but I thought it would be Blood Rages type insanity, and it wasn't that high. Uh, now, my second one was overall cost reduction. In board games? In board games, um, that they would drop some of their calls, that things were starting to spiral out, which we saw with the minis and everything. I think it's kind of like it reminds me when you and I would play video games and how they set on a price of $49.95 or $59.95. I think we were seeing that. They know, they've got their production down on board games now. I, we didn't see an overall drop in production calls where things got cheaper, less minis. I think they've settled on a standard cost for the market. So I was wrong in that respect. My next one was that there was going to be an L5 RPG released. Now, I was close. It was announced in that right now it's currently in beta. It's not released. So I, I was close. I just got my timing off a bit, and hopefully we'll actually see that this year. And my final one was that the government was going to step down on these false people in Kickstarter and crack the whip on them, make them either produce or give money back. Well, that didn't happen either. The government's too busy trying to figure out how to send tweets that are appropriate. They didn't think about going after people getting <laughs> swindled on Kickstarter. And no, that was not a political comment. It's a freaking truth right now. So anyway. Oh, control of Twitter is more important than control of Kickstarter. Got it. Got and it. my last one was, is that uh, in 2017, Gen Con will drop in attendance. Now I should have been made it more clear. I was talking about unique attendees because in that case, I was correct. In 2017, Gen Con announced they had 60,000 unique attendees. In 2016, they had 60,800 and some odd number. But 
the turnstile numbers did go up in 2017, meaning that people were probably buying uh, four-day passes or multiple-day passes, so the same people were coming more each day. So the turnstile went up, but the unique attendees did drop a bit, so I'm going to count that as a win. Okay, I'll let you get away with that. I'm good with that. Now, what about 2018? What you got? 2018. Now, here's where I said you're going to be upset with me, and maybe you won't be as upset with me because uh, none of ours beside my last one had what you like to have, metrics. A measurable way to see whether we're right or wrong. Whether, you know, the number of attendees, we can find out. But my two, I really have no metrics. It's just a gut feeling. The first one is that the Munchkin CCG that's coming out from Steve Jackson Games will not be a huge hit. Okay. The reason why I say that is because the CCG market is very, very tough to crack. It's a tough nut to crack. Now, it didn't used to be that way, but when you've got staples like Oogio, Pokemon, and the biggest of them all, Magic, even with an IP as popular as Munchkin, I think it's going to be hard to come in and be able to have huge organized events and have people come out and spend a lot of money on these games, especially in a game that I have, I got to demo that is, that is kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. Where there are you know cards, it's like you got to tear up the card, and there's different actions on you, like dropping card above the table. Granted, I know Magic had some of those too, but you know serious competitors didn't really use those a lot in their decks. My fear is that because of the style of the game and the IP of the game, that it won't be taken as seriously. A lot of people do love their Munchkin, but I wonder if hardcore competitors are going to say, okay, this is a game I'm going to get into. This is a game I'm going to try to become a pro at and and have huge organized play events. I'm not saying it won't sell and that it won't stay a while for around for a while. I just don't think it'll be a huge hit. That'll be interesting. You're right. We really can't measure it, but I guess from sales and just talking to store owners and people online, we'll find out. I mean, you'll, you'll be able to gauge it. What's your first one? My first prediction is... PAX Unplug will beat all other cons. Oh, why? this early? This early. I mean, th- this early meaning it's only its second one. You think it's going to already beat Gen Con and be having more than 60,000? I think it will. I think it will surpass Gen Con. I think it will be the board gaming con to go to. I believe that people will take time off. I mean, they're true. The month that they're doing it in will hurt them because of the holidays. But I got a feeling that based on the glowing reviews and how well they run all of their cons, that they are going to beat Gen Con, of course going to beat Origins, they already did, and they're, they're just going to be the con. Wow, that's uh, that's that's a pretty bold prediction. The tough part is, is PAX never releases their final numbers either. People make guesstimates, but they never release official numbers. But, I mean, if you're pushing Gen Con-ish numbers, I think we'll be able to see it. So I, I'm very curious about that. And again, I, I got to go to PAX. It is a well-run event. They know how to run their events. So we'll, we'll see what happens. My next prediction is, and again, it's not quantifiable, but I say that we're going to start seeing a changing of the guard on media creators. And what I mean by this, there we've had the same media creators for a while. We've had the Toms and the Rados. And you know what? People are starting to get up in age. And my kids, my kids are part of the Twitch and YouTube generation. And this is what they go to for entertainment. 
And I'm not so sure they're going to, as hopefully more kids get into board games and stuff, that they're going to run to somebody who's 20 years older than him and and look for advice or ideas or anything. And right now, a becoming a YouTube star when you're young is actually a very viable option. When you've got the the Logan Pauls and 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 I can't even name them all. All these big name PewDiePie and all these big people who have made a huge career off getting young people to come and watch their their talks and their video games. I think that some young person in their 20s or whatever are going to find a way to, to jump in and say, I'm going to do this in the board game niche and grab all those 20-year-olds that are coming into the hobby and get them to watch them. And I'm starting to see it now, Tony. For example, I'm starting to see people in their 20s and stuff starting to do different things with YouTube and reach out differently. One, one of them is Christian Kang from Take Your Chits. He has a great style. He has a style in his YouTubes that I see indicative of other younger people with his his flair. He, he's very easy to watch. His sets and everything, his editing is very much modern and young and youthful. Uh, another one I've been enjoying too is Late to the Table with uh, Gary Pope. It's the same sort of deal. Uh, young person, uh, I think people are going to gravitate to them. So what I'm saying is, is that I think we're going to start seeing a changing where we still have our Rados and Toms and everybody that we'll go to, but I think there's going to be a younger crowd that's coming out that's going to grab that the younger demographic and board games and take them and probably go even further than what anybody else has before. So what I'm hearing on my side is I don't need to do anything then for the YouTube. <laughs> well, you still have the old farts and fogies like us who still want to maybe see, hey, if, uh, if I got kids or something or, you know, people are attracted to people in the same demographic, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When I was looking at the, uh, there's a big board game geek poll that's going on uh, right now. It's just a uh, an annual or biannual poll they have. And they ask, what's your age? The biggest age bracket is still 35 to 40 something. A lot of the board game creators are still in that bracket and that's who they're going to go watch. But what's happening is there is that bracket from 25 to 35 that I think that those people want to maybe watch somebody else and will watch somebody that maybe looks and sounds and can relate more to. And can understand all those, that lingo and stuff. I know the term bay is a thing now, but I don't really know what that is. Yeah. You're my my bay. I I don't know. Uh, Christian Kang is my bay, maybe? I don't know. know. So my final (laughs) prediction for 2018 is, and I've said it before, but things are usually cyclical in the five years. In 2008, we had a, a major recession. It took us five years to come back. By 2013, we had an upswing in the economy. So we're back down to our next five-year cycle. So I'm going to see a downswing in our five years. So in 2018, we're going to have some economic hard times. And I think we're going to see the that bubble start to shatter on the board gaming community. I think we're going to start. I've been saying it because. You've been saying it every year since we've been doing this podcast. But in one year, I'm going to be freaking right. If you keep saying it, it'll eventually be right. It'll eventually, but I do. I think we'll see some. Or we'll see some cracks. Something's going to happen this year. It's not so much, you know, asthma days engulfing everybody. I think you will start, and and some publishers are shutting down. But I think we're going to see one out there that unfortunately something happens to, and it's a, going to be a fairly large name. I don't know who yet, and they're going to just say. We got to get out. And it's not because of the good product. It's just because the economy is going to crack. Either there's going to be a a sudden Kickstarter upheaval or there's not going to be as many games or just 
something's going to happen because it's at the end of the five-year upswing. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I hope the economy continues to grow. Uh, I really hope that the board game industry continues to hold steady. The sustainability of growth is going to be tough to keep going up. So maybe maybe we'll just level off this year and, and ride the wave. That's our predictions for 2018. I guess we'll check back one year from now and see how right or more than likely how wrong we are. Episode number 136 has come to an end. Thank goodness, because, hey, I'm almost out of data on my phone. I am almost out of bandwidth. <laughs> We've got to get this resolved, Marty, where I am going. Or Actually, I was planning on driving to your house, but there's been a stupid snowstorm in the south. Oh, man, everything has tried to ruin this opportunity to record episode 136. If you people only knew the struggles that we went through today. It, I mean, I have got to pee so bad because we've been doing this for so long. Wow. Uh, okay, yeah, we do need to wrap this up because you you are getting more ranty by the, by the moment. Yes, I am. <laughs> now, now, because you've been so ranty, I hate to bring up the next topic we're getting ready to introduce. Yeah, like we, like, like we really need to go out here and do this right now with me. Yeah, Grumpy Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, this is probably a bad time to launch this, but we are actually now launching our new Pod Pledge campaign for 2018. We had incredible support a couple years ago by those who pledged, and we didn't do it. Uh, had support last year. We kind of ran through with the money that 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 we had, but last year that we incurred some extra expenses, and people always wonder why are you asking for money. Number one, Tony and I are never looking to do this as our full-time job. We just know that's just something that that's not possible. Plus not having it as a full-time job actually takes stress off of us because if we had to do this for a living to put food on the table, I would be super stressed. I just don't know how some other people do it, but they do, do, do it. And they do a great job of it. For us, we're just looking at ways to maybe generate a little bit of funds to help cover some costs that we incurred last year. For example, our server costs have actually went up two and a half times. Good problem to have because we have a lot more traffic on our server, bad promise, just extra expenses. Plus, with our new logo and everything, we want to do some work up front to generate some more swag and everything to get out to the people. So it's just to kind of uh, a little bit of money to help cover costs in addition to what we get from our sponsors. Our sponsors, we, we they do help support us and everything, but a bulk of the support by far would come from, from Pod Pledge. And a lot of times people don't realize this. When you ask them to do stuff, they want money. So you ask them to draw you stuff. They want money. You ask them to post your site. They want money. What is this? What happened to the free world? Look, it's still free. Nothing's going to change, right? If people give us zero dollars, we'll still be putting out a show every two weeks. Tony may be a little more whiny than usual, but we'll still be doing it. Unless they want to pay us not to put one out. I'm good with that. (laughs) Okay, maybe that's a new incentive level. I'm liking this. Well, I'm going to give you... $10,000 $10,000 and you don't put out a show all year. Yeah, the shut up level. I like that. Okay, all right. I, I, I diverged off of that. So you're, yes, Paw Pledge, uh, other things, some of our equipment is getting very old. So we're going to have to replace that. We, you know, we, we host the contest and things like that. We like giving back as much as we can. So basically, you're really investing in yourself. And plus, Tony's in a brand new location. He's never had a 
really good studio setup. The guy's like hunched over on a desk and he looks all uncomfortable and everything. And, and we want to get him a nice recording spot with like a little bit of soundproofing and a new mic and, and, and stuff like that. So it's like, that's, that's what's going to go towards. And hopefully maybe some more stuff, uh, with YouTube with, like, again, we got plans for doing some more video content. Again, our first focus will always be podcast, but we want to be able to do a nice little video here and there too. So it just helped go and, and cover some of those uh, costs also. I got to get a new garage set up. You know, if I'm going to be standing at my table in the garage, I got to build that again. Come on, people. You know, you love that location. That was an awesome location. <laughs> it, it, it was a pretty good location. <laughs> but what's also cool, thanks to PodPledge, we actually have a way to sell merchandise and available right now, Tony, people can go order our RDTN logo mason jar. Hand wash is recommended. I have run it through the dishwasher, but hand wash is recommended. I want to point that out before I forget. Uh, yes, because you said, I wash this in the washer. No big deal, right? So I contacted the people that made the jars for us and says, yeah, it's really recommended you hand wash. So you might want to consider that in the future. Top shelf, people. Top shelf. Use the top shelf. Gentle cycle. I'm telling you. So our mason jar is available. Also, we've uh, got uh, a link or set up a link to Redbubble so you can order a logo shirt. This was with our logo that was done by Fernandez Suarez, who uh, does uh, the art for Ashes and other games from Plat Hat Games. Uh, so we're excited to get our, our logo shirts out there. And this is just the beginning. Tony and I have uh, ideas for a lot of other things. The levels in the in the uh, the backer levels can get you some of this stuff. There's a level that will get you some dice that we're getting ready to be doing. A level that will get you a shirt. A level that will get you a jar and with every level that you do you'll get every reward bef before it so basically if you do the highest level you'll get all those three things we, and we've worked with Paw Pledge so that we'll be able to get these levels recognized quicker and stuff sent out because we know, you know, in 2016 we were we were a little bit behind so we'll be definitely uh, working diligently on that and we also are looking for other designs on some shirts because who wouldn't want to wear a Grumpy Tony neat shirt? I kind of want to wear a Grumpy Tony neat shirt. <laughs> it's so neat. It'd be so neat to have that. So, uh, yeah, so we got a lot of uh, a lot of ideas. So uh, Pod Pledge is, is going to run uh, for one year. Uh, we do have a, a link out there. Thank you so much for all those who donate. We hope that you see value in it. Thank you for all those that have been listening through the years. It, it means a lot to us. And again, give if you want, but you don't have to. A lot of people say that, but it, it's totally true. If we make zero bucks, we'll still be happy doing this every week. It's not about the money. It's just to offset some of the, the costs that we currently have that we didn't have before and to be able to do some extra special things. So once again, thank you for all your support. Even if the support is as simple as sending us in a little note that says, thanks for doing the podcast. We really do appreciate it. That means a lot too. And you can do that at our email address, names at gmail.com. And isn't there another one just to help me along? Oh my gosh, not not, not an email. Oh, that's I right. Can, not no, an there is. No, there is. No, I didn't. No, did I create one? No, you didn't. I can't remember. It doesn't it's, matter. It's, it's the website. It's the website, <laughs> Rolling Dice Taking Names. There it is. That's the one. Oh, see, maybe that's it. Maybe I'll get a, a idiot's guide to the internet too. We'll, we'll use that with the money. Or just at least get a 56K modem now. Maybe maybe that'll do better than what we're working with right now. Okay, so next time we record, this problem will be resolved. Oh my gosh. Plain and simple. That should have been a 2018 prediction. We'll see if that really comes true or not. No, it will be, or, or there will be 
gnashing of teeth and blood drawn. Cause oh, they'll be healthy. That's right. So keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening. Come chat with us on our BGG Guild 1589. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, or drop us an email at RollDiceTakeNames at gmail.com. That's it. I think I've connected, Marty. Marty, can you hear me? Do you hear me? Are, are we connected? Please, everybody. That's podpledge.com. We really need help. If you're interested in any games that we talked about in this show, like Hunt for the Ring or Heaven and Hell, you need to go check it out at funagain.com where they have it in stock and they're getting a bunch of cool games in stock. I can't believe how many big games are coming out right now. For example, one of their big sellers is the new Raiders of the North Sea expansions from Renegade Games and Tony. We actually have that. We need to play it. I've heard it's so good. Oh, I'm sure it is. Uh... I'll just put it on the calendar. You know, if you live next to me, we could be doing this during our snow day. Oh, don't even say it. You're the one that moved away from me. Anyway, that's another topic. So if you want to go check out all the great games we talked about, plus many more, go to funagain.com. <laughs>